from the West Australian. It's Monday the 11th of December. I'm Ben O'Shea and this is The West Live. The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. Some scams are sophisticated and I wouldn't blame anyone who falls for them. And then there are other scams which are just so obviously fraudulent that you'd have to be a goose to be fooled. The following scam is definitely in the second category. The Australian Federal Police is investigating a scam where travellers are offered millions of dollars to transport illicit drugs by criminals who claim they are United Nations officials. The AFP discovered the scam after it arrested two alleged drug mules in separate incidents in Melbourne this year. Police alleged criminals offered the drug couriers up to $35 million to transport a suitcase into Australia on behalf of an individual claiming to be from the UN. The new trend was first exposed after Australian Border Force officers conducted two separate baggage examinations at Melbourne's International Airport. In July, a West Aussie man returning into Melbourne from Singapore was arrested after officers allegedly found three kilos of meth in his suitcase. Within 24 hours, AFP officers arrested a New Zealand passenger arriving into Melbourne from Thailand after officers allegedly found heroin inside their luggage. Both passengers, unknown to each other, alleged they'd been asked to transport the luggage in exchange for payment from persons claiming to be from the UN. Now, I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but no one from the United Nations is ever going to pay you money to transport illicit drugs anywhere, let alone across international borders. This isn't one of those fool me twice situations. If this scam fools you once, shame on you. Coming up on today's show, new workplace laws that will have a huge impact on Aussie businesses from tomorrow. And we preview the West Test. But first, let's see what's making news. The West Live. Making news. And joining me in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. There is a bounce in your step this morning <laughs> as you walked into the studio. I think that might have something to do with this is this is your last week before last you go week. on a holiday. Also, also, I did a tour of the Mandurah Canals with friends last night, oh, the Christmas the lights. Christmas lights. Yes. Yeah, I know somebody else that it was did that fantastic. as well. fantastic. Was it good? It was great. We had a great old time. One of my friends from the gym, her parents lived down there on the canals, and so her dad took us all out on his boat. It was oh, fan- wonderful. Yeah, it was like Venice. A lot of it's people, beautiful. A lot of people out and about in the boats. Lots of people. Lots of boats. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty Highly special recommend. thing. Yeah, all right. Okay, that's a good tip. Um, and now, With a rosé. Uh, now, let's get, let's get into the news. Vehicle versus something. <laughs> And now we mm. came up with that excellent sound it's not effect. It's getting any just, more expensive, just, is it? No, it just doesn't doesn't age uh, <laughs> at all. That sound effect. But we we came up with that after a series of uh, car versus somethings that always seem to be around Flinders Ave in sort of Yokai yes, and Stewart Hill. Yes. Uh, and now you've got another one. Yes, it's nearby. A 17-year-old P-plate driver has been issued with an infringement notice for breaching curfew hours mm. um, because they're a red P-plate driver uh, after slamming into a property in Nolamara in our northern suburbs. Um, so there's been significant damage to this house. It all happened just before 1.30 this morning. Uh, police say a Hyundai i30 travelling on Morley Drive left the road, went through a fence and hit a property on Windermere Crescent in Nolamara. Now, thankfully, nobody was injured. Yeah. But um, interesting, yeah, that, that curfew breach. Yeah, so a yeah. fine, effectively. Yep, yep. well, that sounds uh, pretty deserved, I think. Just, I, just, I just don't understand how cars keep driving into houses. Is this a problem in every other state in Australia? I think it happens more 
often than not in Perth. If you look at all of the car V houses, I think we punch we above our research. weight. We could do I don't know <laughs> why. Not, it's not an enviable record why. there. We need to do some research on this. Learned behaviour, perhaps. <laughs> we see it too often. Yeah, absolutely. And now... Let's talk property uh, because a leading expert has come out and said that estimation of how much we thought that the property market is going to go up in 2024 might actually be conservative. It might be going up even more than we think. Yes. Damien Collins, who heads up Momentum Wealth Property Group, has told the West the city's housing market could grow by up to 10% next year. Wow. So he says not all properties will grow at the same rate. Areas predicted to perform really well include Bayswater and Forestfield, oh, yeah. uh, not surprising due to Metronet, of yep. course, and more affordable areas in the north, including Craigie, Belden and Heathridge. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. like I, I buy all of that, I think. Uh, Damien Collins, good friend of the show, is we have him on quite often, um, and he has long been talking about, um, you know, the, the property... Uh, boom that's going to be centred around those uh, suburbs where Metronet stations yes. are. Like if you follow the Metronet line, and, and that's a that's not a bad way to go. If you're looking for um, a property and you're thinking, geez, everything's so expensive, where can I get a bargain that's going to go up and, and get me some sort of a return over the next sort of five, ten years? His advice was to look where Metronet is going and some of those suburbs where previously you go, oh, that's a long way away. Maybe, you know, yep. that's not really worth, you know, sure, the housing's cheap out there, but you've got to drive. It's going to cost me a lot of petrol. Metronet, game changer. Yeah, um, might be a 20-minute trip, yep, bang. Yep, exactly. And so I think you'll see some of those suburbs really start to shoot up. 10%'s a lot, though. Yeah, it's a lot. And this is the thing, though. The, the property prices go up. We have pressure on the rental market and people are getting you know, feeling the squeeze, aren't they, yeah. you know? He also said rent is going to go up yeah. as well, which is yeah. uh, which is a pretty tough thing, I think, for a lot of people at the well, moment. Well, this is what happens. Rent goes up so much that people go, oh, may as well just buy a place. But this yeah. is the thing. If you've got house prices going up through the roof, can't well, afford it. So what do you do? I think there's a lot going on in the property market that maybe we're not even aware of. Because I was talking to somebody on the weekend who said that their um, sister was selling their house because mm -hmm. they wanted to cash in. You know, they thought, you know what, great time to sell a house, get a premium price. Um, they've had two separate offers fall through. Um, both got into the written offer stage. Yeah. Um, and just fall fell through over. On just finance fell over. Or... No, just one person kind of got cold feet and they just said, okay, well, we'll let you. you Is know, there something even though, dodgy with this? property no it's actually a very nice property yeah. but okay. it's, it's, so they got i think cold it's feet. got cold feet and another one was someone from sydney who had flown over to buy it yeah um and then um it was conditional on their them selling their house and then that fell through and uh, so well, this that's, is that's this what is, happens when this you happens do that right sort of thing, yeah. um and i think there's a bit of that going on because people are saying okay well i like this house i'm going to buy your house but i've got to sell my house first and then so you've got all this conditional stuff happening at yeah. the moment i think it's maybe not as easy as we think but i mean i think i, I think an offer like conditional on finance is always going to trump that yeah. conditional yep. sale off unless yeah, totally. it's like a really hot property house that's going to yeah, go yeah, in two yeah. seconds yeah. yeah yeah interesting yeah now let's talk about this shark barrier that has been installed at Bicton Baths yeah so swimmers in the lower reaches of the Swan River who might be a little bit nervous about sharks can rest uh, easier this morning the river's first shark proof enclosure in many years opens to the public today uh, just in time for the school holidays cost around $300,000 and the shark resistant netting uh, was put in place in Bicton Baths last week. We spoke about it. Uh, so the decision to build it followed the fatal bull shark mm. attack on 16-year-old Stella Berry back in uh, February. Yeah, that was a shocking yeah. incident. Would you, do you swim in the river ever? I, I don't swim in the river, no. No, 
have you ever been compelled to do it? Have no. You thought, oh, that looks like something I'd do. No. Same. Like we've got beautiful beaches, I know, and right? I know there's sharks in the ocean as well. Um, some people love it. Some people love swimming in the river. I knew, I knew yeah. someone who was like a long distance swimmer who loved to swim up and down the river. Not for me. I remember one day we, were, we were, I think it was earlier this year we were going on a boat cruise and we had the <laughs> we had to decide whether to swim in the river or go out to Karnak Island. Mm. And it was shortly after that attack, and everyone was like, "Karnak Island, please," even yeah. though there's you know, well, seals to the ocean. out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like even now, stand up paddle boarding in the river, I think you know I'd be a bit a bit wary, even though mm. the bull shark stuff is you know you're very very unlucky, unfortunately. I suppose in the ocean, like you know, happens. it's much clearer. You've got more chance of seeing yeah. what's coming. You got those big jellyfish in the river as well that are not that yeah. are not poisonous or anything, but you know I can't imagine it's much fun to go face first into one I of those. I, I would go and swim swimming. at Bicton Baths with the netting. Yeah, except it's still river water. Yeah. I mean, but it's very close to the mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at us two river experts yeah, talking exactly, here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anybody listening for the Swan yeah. River Trust, <laughs> yeah, apologies yeah, yeah. for just like, talking about how bad the river is. Beautiful to look at, though. Yeah. Lovely to have a, a, a vino sitting along the side of it, but maybe it wouldn't dive in. Uh, and now we've spoken on this show before about uh, Javier Malay, the bloke who is running to become uh, Argentina's next president. Mm -hmm. um, he has been sworn in um, overnight. And, like, he is a sort of a far-right candidate. Um, he was a TV commentator, former economist. Um, so his, when he was on TV he's, as a celebrity, like, he was known as El Loco, or the madman. Oh. And so now he's president of Argentina and he was swept in, um, I guess, on this tide of social unrest because yep. they've got crazy inflation, crazy unemployment, uh, drug issues, all this kind of stuff, a lot of societal issues. And so he's sort of come in as sort of a Donald Trump-esque character and said, well, I'm going to fix it all. I'll make Argentina great again. Yep. Um, and he's, he's in his sort of introductory remarks after being sworn in. He said he's going to lead his country out of decades of decadence and decline, um, although he did say things might get worse before they get better. Um, but the fascinating thing here, so in his swearing-in ceremony, it was a who's who of far-right politicians who all oh, flew from around to, the world. Yeah, flew in to Buenos Did Aires. Donald go? Uh, Donald didn't go, but you had uh, Jair Bolsonaro, the Brazilian president. Uh, yes. He didn't have to travel very Not far. Not too far. Um, but he had Viktor Orban from Hungary. Oh. So the far-right um, prime minister of Hungary has flown over there. Um, you had the leader of Spain's Vox Party, Santiago Abascal, um, who's a far-right fellow as well. Um, did Argentina pay for them all to go? Hard to say. Okay. Quite, it's quite possible that yeah. they did. Speaking of decadence. Um, but there's some big problems though. He's, he's got a huge issue. He was going to get rid of the peso and replace it with the US dollar. He's kind of he's kind of stepped back from some of okay. his more extreme policies um, that he raised during the election campaign. Um, but inflation in Argentina, get this, we complain when it's like 5 or 6% yeah. here in Australia. In Argentina, they expect it to hit 200% oh, you're in 2024. Me. Wow. Yeah, 40% of Argentinians live in poverty. Pretty crazy, What's right? What's our exchange rate like with Argentina? Oh, you can you get a lot of dollars to the peso <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, so, so, yeah. So we'll see how, how it goes from here. Um, lots of uncertainties. I think one magazine put it best uh, over there when they had him on the front page. They said... Um, we don't know whether it's going to be good or bad, but one thing's for sure, it's not going to be the same as it was. So, <laughs> so there you go. Now, how closely do you follow Major League Baseball? Oh, not closely enough, obviously. So have you ever heard of um, uh, Shohei Otani? No. So he no. is the Japanese superstar. Okay. So you think, you know... Uh, 
Major League Baseball, the most American of sports. Um, they have a lot of a lot of South American players do very well, like Cubans um, yep. and, and Brazilians. But this Japanese star is the hero of Major League Baseball, and he's just signed a new contract. He was in free agency. Yep. Uh, he was playing for the LA Angels ever since he arrived in the MLB in 2017. Free agency for the first time. Teams were bidding for his services. Yes. You won't believe how much he signed for. How much? So a 10-year contract. Okay, 10 years. 10-year contract. Yeah. 700 million US wow. dollars. More than a billion. 70 million a year. Yeah, more than a billion Australian dollars. Uh, it's rumoured to be one of the, wow. if not the, most expensive uh, professional sports contract in history. Um, so to put it in perspective... Um, if, uh, you, if somebody came to you today and offered you a 10-year contract... For the West Live. Heck yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't 700 million, 10 year contract seems like a long time, yeah. isn't it? Baseball. I know we're seeing it a bit more in footy, these yeah. longer contracts. And they're fully guaranteed. So even if okay. you're in place for five years, gets a whole amount. Well, and, if and he gets injured. Yep. Yeah, and he's 29 as well. And he is actually injured. He's just had elbow surgery and he's a pitcher. Oh. He can't pitch until oh. 2025. I'll be going, oh, oh, guys, done me elbow. So Sorry, see you later. He can't pitch until 2025. Yeah, and they've still paid him and that much. they still much. paid him. Uh, but he's, but he's, he's, he's worth it in marketing dollars, player, I take right? it. So he's a pitcher and a designated hitter. So he's a batsman and a, okay. and a pitcher. Um, but so so Patrick Mahomes um, at the Kansas City Chiefs, $450 million over 10 years. That was the previous biggest. Oh. $700 million, though. That is something How much else. does Travis Kelsey get paid? <laughs> oh, so he'd probably get, he'd probably get about like $15 million a year. Okay. So not really in that oh. ballpark. Yeah. Um, but so there you Tate go. gets more than so him. So Otani, uh, what, a, what a superstar he wow. is. Yep, and massive in Japan, like crazy big, crazy, crazy celebrity. Uh, and Maddie, we'll get you back up for the Wild West. See you soon. You're listening to the West Live. 2023 is winding down, but if you think federal politics is coming to a close, well, maybe not quite yet. And joining us to explain what is going on in politics this week from our Canberra Bureau, the West Australian's federal politics editor, Katina Curtis. Good morning, Katina. Good morning, Ben. I feel like the last three or four times we've spoken, we've said it's, things are winding down. Yeah, they just they, keep going on. They do keep going on. Even though the pollies might not be uh, sitting in Canberra, they're definitely still keeping busy. And migration is still on the top of the agenda. Uh, some big news on that front today. Yes, that's right. Uh, the government's finally releasing its migration strategy today. Um, this has been, we were initially promised this a few months ago, but it's sort of been delayed and delayed. Um, basically, the plan is to really significantly cut the number of people, particularly temporary migrants, coming into Australia. So it reached a peak in the last financial year, or what the government's hoping will be the peak, of about 510,000 people. Um, and a huge amount of that is actually driven by the enormous numbers of international students coming, which is partly because, obviously, with the borders shut during COVID, no students came for two or three years. And so we're sort of seeing, um, normally every year we just get, like, sort of first-year students, but we're kind of seeing first, second and third-year students all coming back all at the same time. So that's partly given it a big bump, but they also, the government is really quite concerned about um, what it said is sort of we've had this drift into allowing large numbers of people, a um, couple million people to be working in Australia and sort of being um, permanently temporary. So they're not, they're not permanent residents here. They're sort of rolling from temporary visa to temporary visa. And so they really want to crack down on that and try and do things in a bit more of an organised or a thought, thoughtful way. 
Mm. And it's interesting you talk about student visas because that was, I think, one loophole that the government is keen to close, the idea of people coming in and maybe they're not actually really that interested in studying. They're really here to get, um, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, employment that then, you know, they can send mm. money back to wherever they might have come from. And so what does the government plan to do in terms of cracking down on that? Yes, so um, it, it's not so much university students, but the consensus seems to largely be people who are coming here to universities, uh, you know, they're paying significant fees to do that mm. and they That's probably legit. are probably studying. It's, it's sort of the, some of the other um, private colleges and, and opportunities, people seizing opportunities, you know, they might roll from student visa and then they enroll in a different course and then they get to stay for a bit longer and then they enroll in a different course and so it sort of blows out. Um but what they're doing, uh, a couple key things, they'll be um, increasing the English language test, so basically making sure that we have um, higher quality people. I think they'll be looking around um, shorter uh, visas or shorter stays after people graduate, so kind of trying to crack down on that thing where you can kind of roll from visa to visa and end up staying here for a really long time, even though you might not actually have the skills that uh, what Australia needs. Yeah, and on the front page of the West today, uh, there's a story about fast-tracking approvals. Uh, red tape has been a bit of an issue when it comes to bringing in highly skilled workers from overseas. What is going to change? Absolutely, yeah, good story from my colleague Dan. Um, they're going to have these specialty skill visas, um, so really targeting the, the really high-skilled people um, in areas that we have shortages. And the target is going to be to do, deal with those visas in seven days. Um, I heard the minister on the radio this morning saying the seven days would be the median, but it's basically like that's their aim, that they want to get these things done really quick. The fear is that, um, you know, these people with these specialty skills, we're, we're talking doctors and cybersecurity experts, engineers, is like sort of people who we really need but their skills are in demand around the world and so we're hoping to make Australia more attractive to these people and part of that would be saying hey we can get you a visa in a week so that you can get into your job quickly. Yeah there's a few sectors of the economy that would like the sound of that Uh, and now we've got a mid-year budget update coming down the pike this week what are we expected to see in that? Yeah, we're thinking that's probably going to be on Wednesday. That hasn't actually been confirmed yet, um, but midweek, I'm told. So, we're, look, the government's been playing down expectations that this will be a big bang statement. It's um, sort of has turned into a mini budget over the past few years. We didn't actually have one last year because uh, the government redid the budget last October, you might remember, after the election. Um, but they really want to pull this back to being a, a more or less sort of routine economic statement, a few new policy announced, but, but nothing too splashy. Um, a couple of things have come out over the weekend. So we saw Jim Chalmers talking about uh, new tax on um, houses that are bought by foreign investors and then left vacant. Um, it's, look, it's really tinkering around the edges with the, with the property market that it'll be better than nothing right Mm. Um, and it sort of shows willing to do act in that area and the other thing we've seen today is some figures around basically the government is saying hey it's just not you guys with mortgages that are getting hit by these high interest rates the the government's um, debt repayments have also grown significantly um, and we've we've actually seen repayments 
interest repayments um, overtake the NDIS again as the fastest growing sector of the of the budget. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fascinating reading when that media budget update is released. And, and now, before I let you go, I wanted you to just cast your mind back over the tenure in Queensland of Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, the last of the COVID premiers to ride off into the sunset. Of course, we saw our very own Mark McGowan do it this year, um, Dan Andrews in Victoria as well. How will you remember Palaszczuk's reign? Look, I, I think it's, you know, she's been pretty significant to have won three elections um, and as a, a female leader and in Queensland, which is, you know, often considered as one of the more conservative states. I think that's pretty remarkable. Uh, her, her departure was, um, I, I mean, it was a surprise and it wasn't a surprise. She's sort of been under pressure. Um, Queensland is basically the first cab off the rank with the elections next year um, and and they're not things that looking great for Labor, so I guess she sort of wanted to go out before the decision was made for her. Um, but certainly, you know, she's, she's been a pretty strong figure in Queensland for a long time now. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, she arrived, I think she was certainly uh, reaping the benefits of coming in after Campbell Newman, a noted idiot, uh, and so, uh, and she she did well, like, you're talking about nearly nine years in the top job, which is a long stint for anybody. Where do you see Queensland going next? Look, I mean, I, I think that it probably is, things are looking like they will have a change of government there next year. Certainly that's what the polls are pointing to at this stage. Of course, a year is a long time in politics. You never know what a new Premier might shake things up. Um, it certainly is, has been traditionally a hard state for Labor, so uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out next year. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Just as we'll wait and see what happens next week on The West Live. Katina, what do you think about giving us a, you know, top federal politics stories of 2023 next week. Sure. Absolutely can do that. I think that sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, The West Australian's federal politics editor from Canberra, Katina Curtis, thanks as always for joining us on The West Live. Thanks, Ben. Last year, the federal government passed the Respect at Work Act and as of Tuesday, this new workplace legislation comes into effect and it brings with it some important changes. Joining me now to explain is lawyer and founder and director of EEO Specialists, Franca Salatena. Franca, welcome to The West Live. Thanks, Ben. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, so can you tell us what the Respect at Work Act is and what does it aim to do? Yeah, so it aims to... Um, change what we would have called a reactive duty on employers to a proactive duty on employers. It's probably the most significant legislation in this space that I've seen in the last 20 years. Yeah, right. And so what does it specifically target in the workplace? Its focus is on sexual harassment, so that's been the big focus, but it also created a couple of new definitions. So something called sex-based harassment and also hostile workplace environment. But broadly speaking, its focus is on providing greater protection for people who experience anything around sexual harassment or anything related to gender discrimination or behaviours related to gender. Yeah, right. And so uh, I'm interested to dig a little bit deeper on something you said a minute ago, the difference between reactive and proactive. What's the the changes there for businesses in terms of their burden with this new legislation? Yes. Yes, yes, great question. So in the past, what happened was an employer could have done nothing in the space 
around training and protecting their employees related to these behaviours. And they would only get in trouble if an individual went and made a complaint to, for example, the Australian Human Rights Commission. So that's why it was called a complaint-based or reactive duty. What's going to happen from tomorrow is the Australian Human Rights Commission, for the first time ever, will be given the power to go into any workplace and conduct an inquiry or an audit. It's not based on someone making a complaint. So they can go in and say to an employer, show us what you've done. Show us what reasonable and proportionate measures look like in your workplace. And if an employer hasn't done enough, then the commission can hold them to account. Mm, wow, that is a big change. And so when, you, when you're talking about, uh, you know, haven't done enough, what are some of the things that a business would have to do? Yeah, so in August this year, the Commission um, created these guidelines called Positive Duty Guidelines. And in those guidelines, they've outlined seven standards that they expect an employer to do. These standards are more expansive than our equal opportunity laws have ever had in the past. And interestingly, they now align more with our safety laws. So they're looking at leadership, they're looking at what are the leaders doing to demonstrate that these behaviours aren't okay, both from a um, putting time and money into prevention, but also in terms of their role models. What's their culture doing to foster an environment that's inclusive and diverse and really focusing on gender equality? How are they then communicating this to their people? So that's all about that training space, that knowledge space, which is what we do at EO Specialists. But they also look from a risk management perspective um, and they also look from a, once it's happened, how are you supporting the people? How are you collecting data and reporting it and responding to it? Um, so it's, you know, it's a lot bigger than the responsibilities have ever been and, and now they've got these seven standards. Mm. What I tend to find when it comes to legislation is its effectiveness is directly proportional to how big the stick is that you whack somebody <laughs> if, they, if they don't stick yeah. to it. So what, what are the, yeah. some of the penalties that we're talking about here yeah. with this Respected Work Act? Look, that, that's a really good question. And it's interesting because when you look at the legislation, they, they say they can do an inquiry. Um, and then they can issue recommendations or compliance notices. And it's like an escalating effect so that if the employer doesn't do what's in the compliance notice, they can then go to the federal court to get an order to then enforce it. So on one level, it doesn't look that big a deal. I've got to say, the biggest stick is reputational damage. So in 2023 and beyond, you do not want your company name and sexual harassment in the same sentence. And the Australian Human Rights Commission have made it really clear in the media releases that they've been doing in the last couple of months that they are resourced up and ready to go into workplaces and conduct inquiries. And they have not been given this power to sit on their hands and do nothing with it. So I would be saying in 2024, you're going to see a whole lot more um, in the media with who the Australian Human Rights Commission have gone into, um, what they found, and if they have not found that as an employer is compliant, we'll be hearing about it. So reputational damage is probably the biggest stick. Yeah, and so I think you're probably right that they'll be looking for some examples to be they made. They will. Uh, oh, they will. And so there'll be big, especially big companies, I imagine, will be really yeah. focused on this. Do you expect it yeah. to be uh, as much of an issue for, for smaller enterprises? 
I don't. And um, it, it's, it's good to see that in the legislation, they've talked about reasonable and proportionate measures. And they've actually identified that the smaller you are, the less that that reasonable and proportionate measures is going to look like. So they're definitely not expecting the same from a small organisation as they are from a big organisation. Um, so that's, I think that's good news. I, I'm, a small, I'm a small workplace myself, so they're definitely not expecting the same. And they've also identified that there's certain workplaces, so, so we know that there's certain workplaces that already historically um, are more likely to experience these kind of behaviours. And they've already identified that they're going to be targeting some of those types of workplaces. Mm. And so generally speaking, before I let you go, so anything that, that uh, eliminates bullying, harassment in the workplace, a positive thing? So are we looking at this uh, in the whole as a good development for Australian workplaces? Oh, absolutely. I have been waiting for this type of legislation for five years. So I've been working in this space for 15 years and I've been saying for at least the last five years, a bit like what you said, if we don't have a stick you're not going to see change. You'll always have a small percentage of workplaces that have always wanted to do the right thing. Um, but the majority need need a stick, they need a push. But can I also say they need a direction? Mm. You know, our old legislation said as an employer, you had to take all reasonable steps to prevent your employees from acting unlawfully, but they never defined in the legislation or guidelines what all reasonable steps look like. So even if you were an employer who wanted to do the right thing, you would have needed to engage someone like me, who's a specialist in this space, to find out what all reasonable steps look like. And so I've been saying, no, yes, we need to make them more responsible, but you've got to give them a framework. You can't just say all reasonable steps and nothing else. And I think that's the big difference. You know, in August this year, the Australian Human Rights Commission re released a positive duty guidelines. And that's where those seven standards have been written in it. So an employer now has real clarity about what it looks like. And, and I think that is probably as significant um, as the Respect at Work Act itself. Yeah, I think it sounds pretty fantastic. And, Franca, you've been waiting for it. An early Christmas present for you arrives tomorrow. <laughs> uh, founder and director of EEO Specialists, Franca Salatena, thanks for joining me on The West Live. Lovely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Sport. Footy is a distant memory, and that means our attention turns to two sports over the Aussie summer, cricket and tennis. And here to give us the big news on both is digital sports editor at the West Australian, Chris Robinson. Robbo, welcome to the West Live. Thanks for having me, Ben. How are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Now, let's talk about this Scorchers game that was abandoned. What was the go there? Gosh, yeah, not a great weekend for cricket across the country. Yeah. Um, and there was plenty of rain over east, which is what caused the problem. So the Scorchers were down in Geelong yesterday. Uh, They're about to open their Big Bash League defence. Um, but some rain had seeped underneath the covers, basically, the night before um, down on the Geelong pitch, and it was pretty evident early on in that game that the pitch was doing some funny things. The ball was sort of ballooning up, rearing up, a lot of movement off the same, off the pitch, um, and pretty quickly became evident that it wasn't safe for the batsmen out there. So 
they literally got in about six and a half overs. The umpires came together and said, this pitch isn't right to go. And yeah, so the match right. was called off. You can just imagine as well, right? Like if, you, if you're taking, taking up your forward defence there and the ball is just coming up in ways that you don't expect, yeah. it'd be terrifying coming in at sort of like 140 clicks. Um, uh, and so what does that mean? Are they going to replay it or it's just it's taken off the schedule? Yeah, they've left it up in the air. Um, the official sort of Cricket Australia statement last night was they will look to reschedule it if they can. I think it's probably more unlikely than likely that they do, just given the the packed nature of the the fixturing, the scheduling across the summer. The, the Big Bash League is already so congested as it is. So I think it's going to be really difficult for them to logistically find a way to reschedule it. Mm. I think they'll probably just have to treat it like if it was rained out, if there yeah. was if there was yep. weather and the two teams just split the points. But it's obviously really disappointing um, when you you can't get the pitch right for a fixture and particularly the first match of the season for the Scorchers. It's a slightly shorter BBL season um, this year as well. There's only 10 matches compared to 14 matches the past few seasons. So every match counts that little bit more. Um, so for the Scorchers to be denied the opportunity to win first up, uh, very disappointing for them. Does it maybe put a question mark over the decision to play games at venues like Geelong instead of in the traditional cricket venues? There's definitely going to be those questions asked, um, and particularly because a similar thing happened in Canberra, which is also a traditional, non-traditional cricket venue, um, for the Pakistan Tour warm-up game that was over the weekend. So the Saturday's uh, play, which is supposed to be day three or day four, I think, um, was completely called off. Because a similar sort of thing happened. Rain got in underneath the covers mm. and they couldn't play at all, even though the weather was perfectly fine that day. So certainly questions going to be asked about those sort of lesser venues for sure. Yeah, yeah. And now let's talk about, uh, it's not a lesser venue, it's a major venue, Optus yes. Stadium here in Perth. The West Test kicks off on Thursday. Uh, and now before we get into the actual cricket, so uh, have you ever done the Optus Stadium vertigo experience where you dangle off the top of the stadium? I haven't, but I'd be open for a dangle. It, I did it, it on the Sound like a good side. How, how I did was it? How did you oh, go? It's, it's a but you're a thrill seeker, though. Uh, yeah, well, look, not as much as my younger days. As I get older, <laughs> less and less. Uh, but so you're 42 metres up on the top of the stadium sure. and you dangle over the edge and looking down, it is a long way, yes. let me tell you. Yes. Uh, but it was it was awesome. It was fantastic. But the one thing that struck me, though, is down at the end, it must have been, let me think, uh, the, oh, gosh, uh, the... The city east, end? The... the yeah, maybe the city end. The, the Yeah, I think it was. No, the western end. Yeah, the city end. Mm-hmm. Um, where the Coldplay stage was set up for sure. those couple of shows. It looks very sandy. There's a lot of grass missing. Yes. Yeah, they've uh, they've been working furiously to replace some of those sections of the turf um, because it wasn't long ago. When was Coldplay? No, Ten days ago? A couple of weeks, weeks ago, yeah. So, um, I say, it looks shithouse. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's like the one, half of the one half of the ground looks perfect, like the sure. perfectly manicured green carpet. Sure. Um, with the, you know, they mow it in different directions. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful. And then you get down to this one third and it's just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. It looks like my backyard. Well, it's, it's tough. I guess it's, after the dog has been yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a really tight turnaround for them obviously with the concert and then the the test starting so early in in the test summer so um certainly some challenges for the curation team there for the the ground staff um wouldn't be the first time we've seen some (laughs) turf issues at optus stadium unfortunately let's hopefully it uh, scrubs up okay on TV and for those at the venue, obviously, for the first test, which starts on Thursday. I saw a bit of a glimpse of the hill, which is going to be a new thing this mm, summer. Yeah. Um, and, but let's talk the cricket, though. Uh, so Pakistan versus the Aussies. 
What do you reckon? Are the Pakistan going to put up much of a fight? Uh, it's hard to mount a case for them. <laughs> it's really hard to mount a case for them. They've lost, I think they've lost 14 straight tests in Australia yeah. dating back to 1995, which gives you some kind of indication. I mean, Australia is so hard to beat yeah, here, yeah, yeah. regardless of who they play. And Pakistan have had some okay teams in that time. They've had some like okay teams, complete yeah. Chumps. They've yeah. had some excellent fast yeah. bowlers. This one is also an okay team. They're probably missing a couple... Um, and then you put them up against an Australian team that's just won the World Test Championship, uh, all-time bowling attack, formidable batting lineup. It's very hard to to make a case for Pakistan. Hopefully, for the summer's sake, they are competitive through those first three tests because it'd be good to see. Um, but yeah, very hard to see anything but Australia just piling on the runs when uh, the test starts on Thursday. And let's talk about the pitch there at Optus because, you know, once upon a time when the games were at the Wacker, you know, you, you knew what you were going to get. You're mm-hmm. going to get a hard, bouncy deck. It was going to be fast. And, and that was the way we loved it at the Wacker. Do we, what can we say about Optus? Yeah, look, we're, fingers crossed we'll get something similar. They, they Do you think work, they'll be aiming for that? I think they work kind of really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And and we we kind of need that here in the West. That's, that's the identity of our test. And we can work hard to... And they've done a really good job of rebranding and it's the West Test. And as you say, they're, they're getting a portion of the hill to sort of recreate that um, square of the wicket whacker experience. But when you strip it all back, the actual identity of WA cricket is fast, yeah, yeah. bouncy. Is there fast, That's what fast it is. bowlers steaming in a and fast the batsmen jumping around? There's in the pitch. Yep, absolutely. So. That's that's a really important brief for the curators to to tap into that identity. They haven't had too many opportunities, actually, just given the yeah. way the schedule's worked out and COVID and all the rest of it, um, to host Test Match Cricket at Optus. So let's really hope that they can find a way to make that pitch what it deserves to be for a WA test because that that's what we all want to say. Does it last longer than three days? Uh, it'll last longer than three. Probably won't last longer than four. <laughs> And the Wildcats have had a shock loss. Yeah, they had a, a really bad weekend. They were, this is something that no, not many people saw coming. They'd reeled off six straight wins. They'd found a, a really nice groove. They went to Illawarra, who were cellar dwellers at the time, and it was a real sort of tripwire game for them. They got blown out early. Mm. They gave up the first eight or ten points. Um, and they were down 20 at quarter time, and they never really recovered. So a really disappointing <laughs> performance from Perth just as it looked like they were starting to click back into some sort of gear Um, and uh, they come back home this weekend they play Tasmania I think it's Friday here at Perth Arena Um, Tassie really really good team so a a big test for Perth but yeah disappointing for them because that should have been just a tick the box let's get in let's get out with a win and um, they ended up getting punched in the face how do you like him against Tassie Uh, I'd back him here given that it's over here um, and Tasmania may or may not be missing their best player, Milton Doyle, who unfortunately had to return to the US um, for a family matter. So whether he plays or not is a, a big swing, but Perth at Perth, always a very tough proposition. Yeah. And now the Australian Open is on the horizon and we'll start to see some of the biggest names in, in world tennis fly into Australia for the various satellite tournaments that lead up to that. Um, one player is not going to be there. Australia's best hope. Yeah, Nick Kyrgios. This is such a blow for the tournament and for a second straight summer as well that Nick Kyrgios won't be at Melbourne Park. So regardless of what you think about Nick Kyrgios, and he's obviously one of the more divisive figures in Australian sport history. He is 
someone who gets eyeballs yeah. on TVs and eyeballs on courts, whether you want to see him succeed, whether you want to hate watch him and you want to see him <laughs> lose. He is someone who is a massive draw card, particularly for Australia, of course. Um, and so what's he pulling out for? He's just had injuries all through the way. I think it's a wrist injury is the most uh, recent. Um, he actually, remarkably, and a sign of the times, and maybe a sign of his personality and character as well he decided to launch an OnlyFans account in the past few days and decided to hang on hang on decided to release the news on OnlyFans which is very on brand for Nick Curios. um <laughs> so, so that's know. how that's how he confirmed <laughs> oh wow I'm at a loss for words yes. and so his own personal OnlyFans account that's right and so I don't think it will involve... Who's, who's, who's signing up to Nick Kyrgios's OnlyFans? I, I don't know. Clearly you haven't yet. No, nah, I might. He though. might get you in time, but I, I don't think there'll be anything... But that's where I have to go for all the Nick Kyrgios <laughs> That's news. right. So yeah. you guys, will, all you guys in sport will have to sign up then. If that's well, where he's dropping the news. It was quite a... Uh, and maybe he's not just dropping his news on, well, oh on OnlyFans. It was quite a jarring feeling to have to write and read in copy told subscription website OnlyFans to credit wow. to attribute his uh, confirmation of not being at Melbourne Park. Do you know, so. I'll tell you a little, a little aside on OnlyFans. So years ago, before it was as big as it was now, I interviewed the um, the founder of OnlyFans. Okay. Uh, and he was trying to tell me, he was swearing blue in the face that, uh, oh, look, it's not just going to be about, you know, sort of pornographic content. People sure. are going to be doing like yoga lessons and people are going to be doing diet and nutrition plans. Yep. And it's, you know, fans of all they, types of They'll all of be things. naked, but they'll be yeah. doing it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe this is it. Maybe Nick Kyrgios is going to be doing tennis. <laughs> Tennis lessons on OnlyFans. Uh, so there you go. So And you know what? Here's a question for you, though. So Nick yes. Kyrgios, right, so is now, according to the internet, 28 years old. Surely we're getting close to saying the boat has passed him by when it comes to winning a major. He's, oh, jeez. But, I mean, it was, yeah, I'd, I'd, I think that's a safe bet. I think the safer bet is that he doesn't win one. He was in the Wimbledon final as recently as last year, yeah. which isn't that long ago. It was Not only sort of 15, ago, 16 like... months ago. It does feel like a long time ago. Um, but by the same token, yeah, the the fact that the injuries have started to really mount up since then and then combine that with the fact that He's never been a guy who's had a great amount of hunger and motivation. Yeah. He's certainly not going to be like a Federer or an Adal who plays at the elite level until he's high, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. late thirties, early forties yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet to say it's probably not happening at this yeah. point. Yeah, and then you have to look back at, you know, like all his all his talk about himself about being so amazing. Yes. And it was always to me conditional on, you know, win a major and then we'll take you seriously. Sure. He doesn't get one. Well, no. I'm glad I never took him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> we always take you seriously, though, Robbo. Thanks, and we man. appreciate you coming into the West Live. Chris Robinson, Digital Sports Editor at the West Australian. Thanks for joining us on the no West worries. Live. No worries. Thanks for having me. The Wild West. Joining me back in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. What have you got today? Well, do you love a heist story? Like oh, a, yeah, a heist. yeah, yeah. I love, I like love a dramatic Ocean's heist. Type Ocean's thing. Eleven. Yeah, okay. Well, there was there was rumours that a heist had been carried out at the Paris Ritz Hotel. So oh. I don't know if you've I've been to the Paris yes. Ritz. I've, I've been I there as well. Stayed there, like it is. I've been there for a drink. It. The bar at the Ritz <laughs> Hotel is fantastic. Uh, but it is it is you know just this amazing, luxurious, yep. glorious hotel. Putting on the Ritz in Paris. That's what it's all about there. And so a diamond ring worth 750,000 euros went missing, right? Oh. A Malaysian businesswoman was staying there and she told police she'd left the ring on a table in the room, as you do, uh, as she went window shopping in Paris for a few mm. hours. Maybe when she put returned, it on your finger. When she returned, 
the ring was gone. Oh, of course it was. Uh, the ring was gone. So she filed a complaint. The hotel was investigating. Police were called in. Prosecutors stood ready to take on the case if it seemed like it was going to be a top-tier cat burglar. Um, and it wouldn't have been the first time that there'd been a heist uh, at the Ritz Paris. Mm. Um, an unnamed member of the Saudi royal family reported the theft of jewellery worth 800,000 euros in 2018. Surely there are safes in this room, you yeah, know, these well, rooms. Well, if you leave it on the coffee table by yeah. the bed, it's crazy. She's obviously yeah. super rich. And also there was uh, a heist of 4 million euros in jewellery from one of the windows, the jewellery stores in the front of the hotel. Okay. So so there maybe was a theory that, oh, hang on, this could be the latest in this this series of Did thefts. someone check whether it was on sale out the front? Well, do you know, it has, the ring has turned up. Oh, do you know where was it? Up? In the uh, in the bag of a vacuum cleaner, oh, housekeeping housekeeping. What? The ring has fallen. The ring has ring fallen up? off the table where the woman has left it, and housekeeping has come through and vacuumed, vacuumed it. it up, hoovered it up. How did you not? How would you not realise that you vacked a ring? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know how when you you do that at home, right? You're vacuuming, and you know you've picked up a bit of the kid's Lego or Lego, something, yeah, and yeah. it goes clack 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 yeah. up the up the spout. Yeah, uh, and so that's probably what the cleaner has done. Oh my goodness! Um, but then it's taken a couple of days. Uh, it took two days to figure that out. Oh, that reminds me. I did vac a little piece of Vance's Lego, and I've still yeah. got to fish it out of the <laughs> dust <go>. in the. <laughs> It's not like a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar ring, though. No, 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 no. It's not maybe not worth even getting all dusty for it. Yeah. Um, but there you go. So what a fascinating oh, story. I enjoyed that heist story. Yeah, well, well it wasn't really a heist, was no, it? No, no. It's uh, more uh, a vacuum cleaner story. That's it. And we'll be back tomorrow from seven a.m. And don't forget to subscribe to the West Live wherever you get your podcasts. Maddie, we'll talk to you then. Catch you tomorrow, mate. You've been listening to The West Live with Ben O'Shea. If the story behind the story matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver.